thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. I have a story to share with you, and I hope you don't mind, but it's a personal one. It's something that happened in my life, and uh, I just want to share it. And uh, it was about eight years ago. We were trying to figure out the exact date, and I, I, I think it was right about eight years ago. And um, I, uh, I, was, I was about, you know, eight, obviously eight years younger. I was a little more limbo, a little bit more agile than uh, what happens as eight and ten years pass at a time. And, uh, but I really wasn't in any better shape, uh, and so I figured, well, I got about 30 days before this, uh, this one big day, so I better do some training and some working out. And so I spent about 30 days trying to get in shape, and, uh, and while this day was coming in 30 days, it's actually a day that we had planned three years before that. And uh, we planned it when my, uh, when my oldest son turned 13. And when he turned 13, we took him on a, uh, a scavenger hunt around San Francisco. And uh, there were five different locations that he had to find on the scavenger hunt with him and his, his buddies. And uh, what we did is we placed a man that was going to have a, a, a huge place in, their, in his life for the next five years or so. And uh, that man, when, uh, when he got to the right clue in the right place, would give him a gift and then a challenge that was supposed to be uh, done in the next five years so that he could uh, have a rite of passage when he turned 18 and became a man. So all these things would be done over a five-year period, and when he was all done, he would say, hey, I'm a man. I don't know. We just came up with this. Thought it would be good. So, uh, so we did these things, and, and all of them had to do with his walk with Christ. All of them had to do with uh, how to tr- learn to trust God in some difficult times and moments, how to understand the power of God in his life, and how to understand the truth of the Word of God in his life. So that's what all these things were about. And uh, so one of them, though, with his very last one that he would uh, ultimately accomplish, was um, to climb to the top of Half Dome. And that meant that I had to lead him to the top of Half Dome. And um, I walked to the refrigerator and back. That's about the extent of my hike. So I figured 30 days to get to the top of Half Dome, that would work out well. I would be good to go and in good shape. And so I got started. Let me read you the actual description that is on the website for Yosemite about Half Dome. Half Dome is Yosemite's most iconic attraction in all of Yosemite and all of Yosemite Valley. The trail to Half Dome from Yosemite Valley is an extremely strenuous hike, covering over 17 miles round trip. Hikers gain 4,800 feet of elevation along the trail that passes Vernal Falls, Nevada Falls, before reaching the cables on Half Dome's steep granite dome. Steel cables and wooden planks are placed along the dome to assist hikers to the summit. 30 days. I think it was a good plan. And so as we talked about, there were these six or seven guys, and we were all going to go there. They were all going to have their own responsibilities. I spent time leading up to this moment, teaching them and showing them how it is. We walk alongside of a young man, the things we would tell them. What does it mean to pray a blessing over somebody? How do you pour a scripture into somebody's life? Here are some of the lessons we want him to learn along the way, and here's the scripture we're going to share along the way as we do it. Here are some of the lessons just about life and being a man that we want him to learn along the way, along this trail, along this trail, a little wind through different valleys till we hit the summit, and, uh, and we were all 
all prepared and ready to go. And there was like, again, like six or seven of us. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, the word got out to the rest of the 20-somethings in our church. And, and pretty soon, there's like 35 people saying they're going. And I'm like, um, we can't do this with 35 people. It doesn't work. And uh, so they said, oh, no, no, that's okay. We're, you know, some of us are only going to go to Vernal Falls. Others will go to Nevada Falls because we're not doing that crazy hike. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. Because you have to be a pro like myself in order to do something like this. You have to be very experienced, otherwise it could be dangerous. And uh, so as I'm this great leader and and telling people all this great stuff, we get up on that morning, and you have to wake up about 4 o'clock because it takes uh, anywhere from 14 to 16 hours to do it uh, going at the pace that we would go. So we got about 4 o'clock. Sun was just uh, going to start breaking about 5, and and, uh, this uh, young lady says, I'm going with you. And we're like, "Uh, no, you're not. No, we, we already said to everybody, you got to know where you, where you land, where the best place to be, and the Half Dome is not the best place for you. I said, I'm not being, trying to be rude, but when was the last time you even went for a walk? And she said, I haven't. I said, look, this isn't the best one. You got a group going to Nevada, you got a group going to Vernal, go with one of those. I'm going. All right. So we loaded her up, we went, we started the way, we get to the top of Vernal Falls, which is about a 30-minute, 40-minute walk. It's pretty steep. And she's done. So that's it. I'm about ready to pass out. I'm done. She already drank through multiple bottles of water, and she's lightheaded. She starts hyperventilating, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? I look at the guys and some of the other gals were with us. I look at my son, everybody's staring at me, and I went, Go go. And a couple of them said, dude, you've been planning this. I said, go, go. I'll stay here. I'll, I'll stay here. I'll, I'll stay with her. And uh, we'll have other parts of our group that'll make it up here in just a little bit. And uh, two hours later, the next part of our group got there. And uh, we got her with them and they took care of her and got her home. I gave her most of the rest of my water and she was able to go. And I just looked at the trail ahead of me and I was like, all right. Let's see if I can do this. So without a group, by myself, and there was people on the trail, different things like that. A lot of people go to Half Dome, and I just took off. And now I'm, I'm starting to realize what I had done, that as a dad, I was about to have an epic fail. As a husband, I was about to have an epic fail. As a leader of these men, I was about to have an epic fail. I'm like, oh, Lord. And so I did the only thing I knew how to do is I just started running. I started running. And so I stopped every, you know, couple yards or whatever it was. Or, and I just got, grabbed my breath. I sat down. Felt like I was going to pass out. I, I left with only one bottle of water because I had to give her the rest of them. And, and I'm, just, I'm just going. And I'm, at a couple moments on this trail, I'm like, I'm not going to make this. This is ridiculous. Am I an idiot or what? And I don't know what to do, and I'm just praying, and I'm running, and I'm walking, and I'm crawling, and I'm tripping off loose rock and falling off this side and that side. And all of a sudden, I get to this place where there's all these crazy stone steps, and I'm like, what? And so I do that, and I get blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I wind up, they call it the sub-dome. So you have half-dome, which is where the cables start, and you have the sub-dome, which is where you get to, and you can climb up these cables. Well, up the cables, you can only go one at a time, and that's a line, and you're climbing these cables. And then you can only come down one at a time, and that's it. There's no, hey, who else is on here? Uh, who's in line? And I have no idea where my son's at. Is he there? Is he up on the top? Where I don't know where he's at. If I go get in this line, you don't get off 
this line, there's only two ways you get off that line. You get to the top and come down or you fall off. And so you get in the line and you got to go to the top. And I'm going, oh my goodness, what do I do? And all of a sudden, I see this guy sitting on the granite on, on the sub dome. And I look over, I'm like, Josh, hey, Tim, how you doing? And I'm like, what? He goes, I couldn't make it, man. I was done. And I'm like, oh, hey, where's Timmy? And he goes, oh, dude, he's up there. He's what? He's up there. He's, he's, he's either right on the cables or he's up there. I, I, he, but he's, he's been gone for about an hour. I'm like, oh, man. And in that moment, in that moment, I opened my eyes. And I saw the beauty and the majesty of the Yosemite Valley all around me and El Capitan on one side and the beauty of God's thumbprint. And I saw the beauty that it talks about in Scripture of how he created everything and the rocks will even cry out his name. And at that moment, I stopped trying to fight my own way. At that moment, I was out of the valley. At that moment, the darkness had all been lifted. At that moment, I just opened my eyes and I was like, thank you, Lord. Oh, my goodness. And I was overwhelmed with this incredible sense of joy of God's power, of his majesty, of his might. It was phenomenal. And then I said, but Lord, my son, wanted to be with him. There's so much I want to teach him. There's so much I want to show him. And so I began to pray over every one of those things, every one of those things that we were going to teach, every one of those things that we were going to say. And I began to pray for every one of those men that were going to be with him, that they would step up into their role, that they would provide, that the Lord would use them. And, and I just prayed. And so I'm sitting on this crazy slab of granite and I'm praying. I'm praying out loud. I'm starting to cry. I'm singing worship songs, which is idiotic for me to sing anything. And I'm doing this. And as people are coming off the dome, they're staring at me. I'm like, ah, praise Jesus. And I'm just, I don't know what to do. I had just made it through the valley and I was on top of the mountain. And I was sitting in the glory of the Lord, trusting him for what would happen. And sure enough, about an hour after that, my son comes bouncing up, this beautiful smile. And he begins to tell me about what happened. He begins to tell me about how all the guys surrounded him and the scripture that they shared with him and the stories that they shared with him and, the, and what they taught him. And they began to talk about how they prayed over him and prayed blessings over him. And then he told me about some of the things he did. And they got this little thing called the, the diving board and it kind of steps out over the ledge. He goes, I went on a diving board, Dad. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome, man. Did you die? Oh, you're here. Okay, good. So, and, and I was just like, it was just so incredible. He was telling me. And then he told me about the journey up that I couldn't be with him on. And he told me about how so many times he wanted to quit, so many times he wanted to turn back. And he told me about how it was hard, it was difficult, and he told me about that, but he told me it was so much fun being with all the guys and all the things they taught him about hiking and drinking and all the things they, you know, and, and I sat there, and I was like, that's it, that's it. I had a plan, and my plan was terrible compared to the Lord's plan. I had a plan of how I was going to get through the valley and get to the mountaintop, and it just wasn't anywhere near as good as God's plan. It wasn't anywhere near as good as my good shepherd's plan about how he was going to lead us through that valley and get to the mountaintop. And so today, as we look at Psalm 23 and we get into our next part of it, we get to maybe one of the most famous lines of the passage, and it's verse 4. And starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He 
guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And Ed, thank you for just sharing about God's glory and the glory of his name last week. It was so encouraging. And then we are in here in verse 4 and it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the ESV says the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And while that might be the most famous passage in all of Psalm 23, it's unfortunate that it's read almost exclusively at funerals. It does give great comfort to those that are there knowing that death won't swallow those up that are following Christ and know Christ. That is great, great. And it's a great help for us. Though I walk through the darkest valley or though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it is great hope knowing that death is not the end. That death cannot grab and, and, and curse any longer those who are in Jesus Christ. That the worst that this world can throw at us is death. And yet death for those who are in Christ is not a permanent thing. Death is only the blinking of an eye and, and a sudden snap. We're with the Savior in all of eternity. Maybe a, a better way to read this is the way that it's written in the NIV, which is even though I walk through the darkest valley. You see, in Hebrew, that, that, that phrase there about the valley of the shadow of death, it's a place of thick gloom and deep darkness. You see, we can't ever forget that David at one time was a shepherd, and that's, he's writing from that experience. And he's writing from his experience, not as a boy being a shepherd at that moment, but looking back on life and looking back on his relationship with God. He's writing from the experience of being a shepherd. And when he gets to this line, he's writing about a change of season, a change of time. And when he gets to this, this verse, he's, he's writing about spring coming to an end and summer on the horizon. He's writing about the fact that in just a short amount of time, the grass is going to wither. The, the watering holes are going to dry up. The heat is going to become exhaustive and deadly to the sheep. So every good shepherd must take his sheep on a journey and get to higher ground. Every good shepherd must take his sheep to a higher place, to a better place. Every good shepherd must take them, and the only way to get to those higher grounds, back to places of meadow and grass and food, back to places of water and sustenance, back to places of, of shadows and, and shelter, back to places of safety, is to go through valleys. And you follow the valley up the mountains to get to those high places. And there's huge crevices, and there's, and there's, long, there's, 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 there's high towers of rock. And you can see how the shadows, even in the midst of the day, caused it to be black almost in some of these valleys, even though it's the, 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 the top of the day. And, and you can see, and this is actually a valley from the region, and you can see as you would travel this path that uh, you don't know how deep it is. You don't know what's going to be ahead of you. You could actually get lost in terms of your sight of knowing when it would end when you're in one of these valleys. And then... It's rocky terrain. It's going to be rugged terrain. You can lose your footing easily. You're going to have to climb over things in this valley to get where you need to get. That's not a good thing for sheep. They're going to need a guide to take the best path through this valley. And you can even see how there's rocks and in those cutouts of the rocks, there's crevices and there's even caves. And what hides in those caves and those rocks and the bush along the, thing or, or, or along the way are predators. Snakes are a huge issue. Hyenas are a huge issue. 
the lion is a huge issue. This, this lion right here is, uh, is called the Asiatic lion. And it could possibly have been a, a lion that, that maybe David encountered. And think about that for a minute. David, the shepherd, talking about his experiences, would have encountered a lion and he pulled out his sling and slung a rock at it. And so the rock pegged it in the face, but the lion kept coming. So he went over and it says that he grabbed it by its mane and he took out his rod and he clubbed it. See, because the shepherd's job in the midst of the valley is to protect his sheep from the predators, even at the cost of his own life. And then there would be bears that hide in there. This is the brown bear, and they'd be hiding in some of those same places, some of those same caves. And they would come out, and David tells a story of taking out a bear that was after his sheep. See, the, the shepherd has gone this journey a number of times. The shepherd has led through and learned where the bears and the lions and the snakes, where they hide out, what the... What, the, what to look for to know where they're at. And so they're aware, and they lead the sheep through this dark valley, through this difficult terrain, through this difficult time of the year, knowing that there are green grass ahead of them, knowing that there are places of refuge, knowing that there is shelter, knowing if they don't get there and they stay in the valley, it is sure death. But going through the dark valley, which may seem as if I'm not going to make it through. Going through the dark valley, which may seem as if everything's closed in. Going through the valley, which may seem fearful. We do not have to fear evil. Evil could also be uh, translated as calamity in this particular passage. Calamity. Oh, one thing that might bring calamity, if it wasn't the predators... If it wasn't the terrain that would bring confusion and calamity to these sheep and the shepherd, you can't really see it real well in this because of the shadow and the screens, but what there are is there's rushing water down there in that valley because one of the most deadly things that can happen to you in the desert or a valley in the desert, uh, mountainous country, is flash floods. So it rains higher up in the altitudes and the floods come in an instant. And the shepherds are going to know where on that path to be that when the floods come, they don't get washed away. And the sheep don't get washed away. They're going to know what side of the train to be on. They're going to know what to look for in the clouds. They're going to know the feel of the air if there's a storm coming. They're going to be able to hear the water on its way. They're going to be able to be alert and aware because they are out front as the point man leading their sheep where their sheep will eventually find rest and find health and find security and find peace. What do you think? You see the imagery David's getting at in our lives? Notice what Psalm 23 is declaring. Even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil. It's not saying if, by chance, maybe, you will. Death is certain in this life. And tragedy and pain are certain in this life. We will walk through a dark valley that will seem like it's caving in on us. We will walk through dark moments that seem absolutely overwhelming and impossible. And we will begin to be fearful. And we will look at the circumstances and fear will begin to creep in. And by saying this, I fear no evil, he's not saying that 
He doesn't fear anything. He's not saying that fear is never there. He fears no evil. He does not fear the calamity that's all around him in that it becomes a crippling fear that he stays put. It does not become a crippling fear that you stay in the valley where there is sure and sudden death. You don't stay put. You trust the shepherd and you move through this mountainous, rugged terrain, through these dark valleys, knowing that there is a mountaintop waiting for you, that there is the best the shepherd can offer you. But you have to trust his voice. You have to trust his name. You have to trust his strength. You have to trust his power. You have to believe that he is the shepherd that he claims to be, that he's taken the journey that he's claimed to take, that he will lead you to the right path to get where you need to be because the dark valley is coming. When the boss tells you to clean out your desk, when your retirement plan just busted and your funds are lost, you find out your baby will be born with stress or trauma. When you find the stash of what you feared most in your son's closet, When your spouse tells you that they have nothing left to give and they've been giving it to somebody else. When your teenager comes home and says that they or their girlfriend is pregnant. Or when the doctor's news comes in an instant and says the lump is cancerous. Or when the wayward teen won't listen to you about the right path. Or when the terrifying news comes that what you dreaded phone conversations started to get a little bit more weird and difficult and the words were coming faster and with more anxiousness and your loved one is now relapsed and using drugs again. The dark valley. Loss of a relationship, an opportunity, a dream. David knows a lot about dark valleys. Oh, he's been on the mountaintop and at the pinnacle of life and he has been in the darkest of valleys chased around like a common thief, a criminal, a wild animal for years for doing what? Nothing. Just being obedient and being the man that God called him to be. Chased around by the king that was supposed to protect him, instead cursed him and tried to kill him. Forced to act like a crazy man in front of a a foreign government that he would be taken in and, and taken care of because his own people wouldn't take care of him or accept him. Oh, he knows isolation and loneliness and depression. It might be that David was the most depressed person in all of Scripture. He knows the dark valleys. He knows the overshadowing of the walls. He knows when everything seems to be falling in. He knows the the dark valley of his own sin as he took Bathsheba and had an affair with her and killed her husband and watched it shred his kingdom in half. Oh, he knows the dark valleys. Or they came at somebody else's hand like his son who raped his daughter. Or it came at his own hand from his own desires. Or it came at the evil mind of another. He knows the dark valleys. He's a man who talks with the experience of a shepherd. And yet, the incredible vulnerability of a sheep who put his trust in the almighty good shepherd. And said, you are my God. You are my king. I will trust you to lead me through the darkest of valleys. And we find that when we trust the good shepherd, there's blessing. We can call it valleys and mountaintops, and that's a great example, but it's still just an analogy. 
what Scripture actually teaches us is that blessing follows obedience. You hear the Lord's voice as he's leading you through the dark valley and you follow him. And it will lead to blessing. Blessing all throughout Scripture is the presence of the living God in your life. A greater awareness, a greater understanding, a greater intimacy with the presence of the living God. We will walk closer to the shepherd. We will know him more intimately. Every step of obedience through that dark cavern, to that dark shadow, through that dark valley will lead to a greater intimacy with the Lord will lead to a greater knowledge of who he is and what he wants for our life, will lead to a greater knowledge of how to walk with him step by step, and we hear his voice, and his voice is sweet music to our souls in those darkest of days, because you cannot escape him. They will not leave you alone. They will not miss you. You will have dark days and dark valleys upon you. Will you live in fear? And hunker down and do it yourself and trust no one but your own strength? Or will you fix your eyes on Jesus and follow the Good Shepherd as He leads you to the green pastures, as He leads you to the mountaintop, as He leads you to blessing? Let me read a few passages to you Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. May this give your weary soul rest. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those witnesses, by the way, have gone through, followed the shepherd through the dark valleys. They know. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Let us run with him. Let us keep up with him. Let us follow him, right? That's what the passion is saying. And who is this Jesus? He's the one that gave us faith. He's the one that gave us life. He's the one that started the whole thing, and he is the finisher of the whole thing. He knows the end. The end is not a mystery to him. He is not lost in the valley. He knows where to go because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it says, for the joy set before him, he endured endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What's that part of the passage saying? It's saying, hey, your good shepherd knows the valley. Not only does he know it because he's the shepherd and he's leading you through it, he knows it because he walked it. He knows it because he felt the scorn and the shame of the cross when he didn't have to, because he felt our pain and was tempted in every way that we are, because he had people abandon him and isolate him and abuse him, and they had people call him names, they had people do all sorts of wicked things to him, and he experienced that pain that we would know that our good shepherd gets our pain. Our good shepherd knows what it means to be in a dark valley. Our good shepherd knows what it means to follow the voice of the living God that will lead to eternity. Our good shepherd knows. And so, what did he experience? The scorn, the shame, the temptation. And why? That we would have the confidence of fixing our eyes on him and following him all the days of our lives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Do not give, I do not give you as the Lord gives you, which means take, I mean, as the world gives you, which means takes it away and it comes and go. No, this is a peace that is secure. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Your good shepherd leads the way. Fix your eyes on him. He knows the way out of the valley. 
And look in Mark 5, and I've summarized this in this passage here, but it says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they told Jairus, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Here's a leader who doesn't even following Jesus. He gets to this dark valley. His daughter is dying, and he, she won't be saved. She can't be saved. She's going to die. So what does he do? He goes to this teacher, Jesus, who's claiming to be the Messiah and God. He shows up, and all he has is hope, so he fixes his eyes on this Jesus and he's going to put all of his hope in this Jesus that could heal his daughter and then his his people walk up to me and says ah don't bother the guy she's dead can you imagine the brokenness of his heart can you imagine sitting in that valley it felt like every wall just crashed in on him but know that your shepherd knows your valley. Your shepherd knows your pain. Your shepherd knows how to lead you out and knows exactly what you need to be led out of that valley and to reach the mountaintop. Listen to what happens next. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just fix your eyes on the Savior and trust his power, right? And it says, so then the passage continues that he went to the house and he put everybody outside of the room and there was the, the house was a madhouse. They were all mourning and weeping and crying and he goes into the room with his disciples and the father who was having belief and was trusting and he walks into the room and he says, little girl, get up. Rise and live. Can you imagine says that she got up and she began to walk around. What seemed like an earthquake that was going to take the life out of him became the literal breath that he was breathing. He would never be the same again. I'll guarantee this man would never walk through a valley in a way that he walked through before. I'll guarantee he wouldn't let other people walk through those dark valleys without knowing the power of the living God of Jesus Christ. We go through it to get to the other side, and the Lord is teaching us something all the way through this dark valley. He's showing us. He's pointing us. He's teaching us how to walk so we can teach others how to walk. He's teaching us how to get from one place to the next so that we can teach others one place the next. He's teaching us the hazards and the roadways and the, and, and the predators that are out to get us so that we can avoid those and we can understand and, and how to help other people avoid them. He is teaching us so much that as we go through this dark valley, there will be another dark valley and now we're better prepared for that dark valley. He is using these dark valleys of our lives not just to take us to a new place, but to teach us how to get to that place that we might bring others with us and that we might be more prepared for the next valley we face. Keeping our eyes fixed on our Savior. I had this amazing privilege last night to go to dinner with a very dear friend of mine who was visiting from California. And he said, hey, can you come and have dinner with uh, Jane and myself? And we said, absolutely. What a treat it was. And he began to tell me a story. He goes, Tim, you know my journey, right? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm familiar. And he goes, you know, I spent most of my life just kind of sitting in the back of church. I don't go to the Bible studies. I didn't have time for small groups. And I wasn't reading the word. He goes, I'm a dentist. I have a family. I have a practice. And I have to be about those things. And I believe in God. And I trust him, sure. But I didn't have time for much else. And he said, and you know that there was a moment when God just absolutely gripped my life. And I couldn't deny it any longer. And I had to surrender. And I said, yeah. And he goes, remember that prayer that I told you I began to pray? Every morning he wakes up and he's in the Word at 5.30 in the morning. And as he's reading the Word, he's praying. He gets done with reading the Word and he prays, Lord, I don't know what you have for my day, but I'll follow you wherever it takes. 
don't know who you want me to talk to, but I'll talk to him. I don't know what you want me to say, but I'll say it. Lord, my life is yours. Do with it as you would choose. And then sitting in this restaurant with tears running down his face, he begins to describe. He goes, you know what kind of feeling that is? That every day is pregnant with the possibility that the Lord would do something with my life? That every day is pregnant with the possibility that my conversations would change somebody's life, that they would mean something? That every day is pregnant with the possibility that my life can have incredible meaning? Do you know what that's like to walk through that day? He goes, I can't tell you the conversations that have come up. I can't tell you the events that have happened. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in a chair working on somebody, and they're telling me about something going on in their life. And I said, you know, I just read that. What do you mean you read that? I just read that this morning. What do you mean you read that this morning? Where'd you read it at? I read it in the Bible. You read that in the Bible? I did. Well, where? And he would tell him. He goes, well, can you show it to me? And he would pull out his phone. He goes, it's right here. He goes, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations like that and things have happened. And he began to tell me the story of this woman who showed up and she's part of his practice. And she shows up and, and she goes, I need you to call my husband. He goes, I don't know your husband. I need you to call. I need you to talk to him. And I need you to help him. And he goes, well, I, I don't do that. I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I work on teeth. I don't call people. And she goes, no, I need you to do it. And she goes, why? He goes, because he's in trouble. What do you mean he's in trouble? He's a drug addict, and he's destroying his life and our marriage. That's not my story. She goes, no, but he needs your God. So he texts, and he calls, and he can't get a hold of him. And finally, a couple days later, he answers the phone, and he says, yeah, what? Well, your wife said to call you. Who are you? I'm Dr. Tim, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, can I talk to you? So they make a plan to meet in his lobby, and they begin to talk. And Tim doesn't know what to share, and he's praying the whole time. He doesn't know what to do. He's like, I've never talked to somebody about this stuff. He's telling him, he's sharing, he's telling him, telling him about Jesus, blah, blah, blah. This was three years ago that this happened. And then this man starts to show up to their church with his wife once in a while. And his life still isn't cleared up. His life still is a mess. He leaves church now, and he comes pretty regularly now with his wife. And he leaves church about halfway through. He goes outside, gets stoned, and come back. And that's kind of how he does church. And so Saturday or I should say last Sunday, Tim was asked to share his testimony in church. A testimony about how he met these men in his church, and he began to be involved in a Bible study, and that's where God gripped his life, because he was in the Word with these men, and these men were unpacking the Word with him, and they were, and they were just learning together, and they were pouring into one of their lives, and he said, these men will die for me. These men, I can call them anytime, and they will come to me. And what the testimony was about was that he was sharing about how this small group changed his life, about how they poured into one another's lives, and they learned how to read Scripture, and they learned how to trust Scripture, and they learned how to use it in one another's lives, and how to use it in other people's lives, and they just taught one another, and they loved one another and they would be there for one another and they had accountability with one another and this relationship just grew and grew hey application number one everybody today we need one another to learn how to walk through the valley we need one another to learn how to put our eyes on jesus we need to be in small groups teaching one another learning what the word of god says teaching one another what the word of god says it changes your life application number one how is it that we walk with the Savior? How is it that we fix our eyes on our, on our Jesus? We need to learn from other people. We need to learn from other people that have walked through the valley. We need to hold one another up and teach one another. And then he began to, to share with the church about how the word of God just absolutely impacted him and changed him and, and that he's able to use it now and draw from it at all sorts of circumstances in his life. Application number two, church, is you will only know the voice of the shepherd if you're in the word of God. If we're in the word of God, we will learn the voice of the shepherd. We will learn uh, his pathway. We will learn his righteous ways. Application number two, we have to be in the word all the time. 
Is it a 365 plan? We got them. Is it a Bible study? We'll help you with those. Is it just, I just, just, I just want to start. We got a 21-day plan that you can read through the book of John. What is it that we can help you to be in the word every day, learning to listen to the Savior's voice? And then he began to share that how his life began to be a life of prayer, and that really impacted him because he shared so much intimacy with the Father as he was praying. And as he's learning what the voice of the Lord sounds like, he's actually learning it through his prayer, and he's learning how to interact with it on a daily basis. And application number three today, church, is we have to be people who pray and talk to the Savior and listen to his voice and be in constant, intimate conversation with him. How about this Wednesday? Will you join our prayer service? Twice a month, we get together and we pray. And can I just tell you something? When Cisco is able to make it and he prays, I'm not even joking, heaven opens up. When Pastor Suarez and Davi start to pray, my God just got a whole lot bigger as they pray in their natural tongue of Spanish. Oh man, my God just got huge. <laughs> when Pat and her just gentle, older spirit begins to pray, I promise you the angels are singing. Or when Noel and Edie, two great saints of our church, begin to pray, it's as if royalty showed up. And we're blessed to be in their presence as they interact with the living God. And sometimes people show up to the prayer gathering, and I hope it's you, and say, hey, I'm here to fight for others too, but I need prayer. And we gather around and we pray for them and we pray God's blessing over their hearts and we pray God to guide them and we pray that they will learn the voice of God and we pray for their circumstance and their valley and we pray for them and we pray for them. And can I just tell you something? We began praying for marriages and marriages have been healed. We began to pray for marriages and marriages have been healed. We began to pray for people to be healed and people are healed. We began to pray for these things and these things are happening right here in your church. These things are happening when people gather together and call in the name of the Lord and the amazing and the miraculous is happening because we're fixing our eyes on the shepherd as people are going through dark valleys and we're learning how to get to the other side, to the mountaintop where there's provision and there's safety. And so this young man with his wife was there last Sunday. And Dr. Tim was finishing up his testimony. And as he was done, as he was done, this guy couldn't get to him fast enough. And he said, you have been talking to me about this Jesus for three years. For three years. I'm ready. I'm ready. And the men that were in his small group rushed around this guy because they've been praying for him for three years. And they rushed around him and they gathered around him and they all began to pray for him as he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. The man who's been walking through the death of a valley, watching his life be shredded and his family be torn apart and the darkness has overclouded him, has been set free. And he now is a child of the living God, learning how to walk according to the good shepherd's I need to share with you the last two parts. They'll go lickety-split. You ready? The next one is this. It goes on to say, I fear no evil because you are with me. That passage, you are with me, is directly in the middle of Psalm 23. And in the Hebrew language, 26 words and phrases come before that. You are with me. 
And then 26 words or phrases come after that. You are with me. What's the center of Psalm 23? What's the important message of Psalm 23? It's not that you will walk through the valley of a shadow of death. Of course you will. You know that. It's that he is with you. You are never alone. You are never forsaken. You are never abandoned. You are never without your good shepherd leading the way. Will you fix your eyes upon the good shepherd and let him take you through the darkest valleys to the most amazing mountaintops? Will you be obedient that blessing will follow obedience and you will experience it? And then it says, for your rod and your staff comfort me. The staff is used to nudge the sheep along the right path. No, 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 no. The lion's over there. Ah, yeah, 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 no, there's a snake over there. Hold on, that's loose gravel. You're going to slip and fall. And you nudge them along the way. And oh, no, one's going over the edge. I take my crook and I pull them back. And then one gets hurt. And so I pull them over my shoulder and I carry them while the shepherd shaft helps me continue to walk forward. There is nothing that conquers this good shepherd. And then he has his rod, about a two-foot billy club, if you will. And that is to ward off the beasts, the predators. Your good shepherd is on the lookout for that which seeks to attack and devour you. And he grabs it by the mane and he bashes it in the face. And you're like, that's a little too vulgar for church, Tim. Yeah, I want a savior just like that. I want one that's taken my enemy and taken him out. Yeah. And then the rod also is used to throw so he can take an enemy out that's some distance away. And then the rod is also used to gently inspect the sheep to see where they might have a need so the shepherd can attend to it. And then the rod is also used as what the sheep pass under every time they enter the gate. And he's counting one, there's Susie. Two, there's Joe. Three, there's Kelly. Four, there's, and he knows each one of them by name as they pass under the rod of his care. And they are comforted by the staff and the rod because the shepherd cares and will surrender his own life on behalf of theirs. You will be in a dark valley if you're not already. Will you follow the voice of the shepherd, fixing your eyes upon him. Father, thank you for who you are and your greatness and your goodness. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your great word. Thank you that we can depend on you. And thank you for not leaving us alone in those valleys, but leading us to blessing. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed week and keep your eye on the shepherd.